I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Small businesses bring Utah together. They inspire goodness and connect communities. These are their stories from Mighty Main Street, brought to you by the Utah Office of Tourism and Visit Salt Lake. Here's our host, Chris Redgrave, on KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Mighty Main Street is a business show about our small businesses in Salt Lake County and the state of Utah. These extraordinary business owners share their journeys of how they're thriving in today's business environment. Visit Salt Lake and Utah Office of Tourism make this program possible. I have Bo Beatty with me from Wilderness Ridge Trails Llama, uh, and he owns this uh, in partnership with his wife, Kirsten. Bo, I appreciate you joining us on Mighty Main Street. You were brought to us by Utah Office of Tourism. They asked us to give you a call, and I cannot wait to hear about um, what you do with these beautiful llamas and what you offer all of us as far as just a really unique experience in the great outdoors. So, Bo, welcome to Mighty Main Street. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. This is exciting. So, yeah. yeah we love to talk about farmers and what we do, so this is awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, I went to your website, and it's a cool website. The pictures are unbelievable. The people look so happy. I mean, they are just really into <laughs> they're, they're really into this. What gave me the idea to decide that I know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start hanging out with llamas, and we're going to do some really cool hikes and stuff. Tell me about this business. This is an extraordinary business. I mean, how people getting into things is so so you know, off the board and crazy and strange. And I got into llamas when I was backpacking. And so I come from a five generations of ranchers and uh, horsemen, you know, and outfitters. And so I went to college a long ways away from where I grew up and was backpacking on the continental divide. And I ran into some folks with some llamas and I had this big old heavy backpack. And I was like, you know, sure would be cool. So I had some buddies up here. Uh, they helped me carry some of the gear and equipment and enjoy the adventure. And so I started looking to pack llamas and, and realized how rare that uh, the working breed were. And the Inca bred them for about 6,000 years. And so we got into llamas here in North America, you know, in the late 70s. And uh, the breed that the Inca bred for 6,000 years for work, you know, from hauling everything in their society, basically started dying out across the world, especially here in North America. So once we realized that, we started buying a few llamas here and there and training them. And then kind of we set the last 12 years our mission to preserve the breed. And so... We started trying to accumulate the rest of the genetics left in North America. At the time, there was only about 1,500 of the working breed in North America. Now there's about 5,000, and we kind of helped that grow to that number and preserve that breed and done some importing. And so um, the llamas need to work. I mean, they love it. You know, it's like a lot like a a retrieving dog. You know, it's just in their nature and in their DNA. And so um, the business allows the opportunity for llamas to to work and for us to be able to afford and keep the llamas and uh, preserve the breed. And so 
we started doing it basically kind of necessity. And then we realized that, it, you know, the enjoyment that we get from taking people on the trail, you know, whether it's a one hour day hike or a five day trip in Yellowstone National Park, you know, it's just a, an exceptional adventure and people get such a kick out of it. And it allows people an opportunity to go and see places they normally wouldn't be able to go and see because, you know, carrying the weight and gear and equipment. And then for the short day hikes, it just makes for a very unique adventure. We have people call us, for example, like a mom will call and say, I've got five kids and we want to go on a hike. But my kids get whiny and cry and after like a mile of hiking. And we always tell them, like, well, we hear that a lot, but everyone gets a chance to leave their own llama and feed them their, their little pellets that we give them. And, you know, after at the end of the hike, people, the kids are usually like, wow, it's over already? You know, it's because they're so enthralled with the llamas and what's going on in the surroundings in the Utah area that uh, they kind of forget about the hiking part. So it makes it really fun. Boy, that is amazing when you consider all the information you just gave us. Why did the llamas start dying <laughs> out, Bo? I mean, this is, you said they've been around for thousands of years. What happened to the llamas? You know, uh, kind of long story short, basically, I mean, it's kind of been falling out since the 1500s, since the, the fall of the Inca civilization, you know. And basically, the conquistadors came in, started taking over the civilization. They did that by killing them. Um, the leader at the time's um, working llamas. And if you had a working llama back in the Inca civilization, you know, you were considered to be royalty or family royalty. And the working llamas were the best of the breeds because they were used every day and did all the work. They were like, in today's terms, the, the semi-trucks, the rail cars, the airplanes, the cargo ships, you know. Wow. And uh, they are kind of ruled by the emperors. And so since then, it's kind of been falling out because the conquistadors came in and started killing the working llamas because they were a symbol of prosperity and a symbol of of the land, and uh, people have since then been trying to recover it. But what happened in the 70s when llamas were imported, people were so interested in them and were using them, but then it kind of, the baby boomers kind of just stopped doing it, and it kind of died out. Llamas, had, in 1990, there's 270,000 llamas in North America, according to, the, you know, the census survey by the USDA. And now, in two, you know, 2017, there's less than 30,000 total, you know, at the various different breeds. And so people just kind of stopped doing it, you know, lost interest. And we realized that and realized, man, if we don't start doing this, it's going to be gone forever. So. Wow. Oh, my goodness, Bo. What a story. Is there a certain disease that llamas get that's unique to llamas? Because I have some friends that were ranchers, and they had llamas, and I know that they got some type of a something happened to them, and they had to put them down. It, did anything like that happen to llamas? Was it disease or yeah, it was basically a fallout of, of people just stopped breeding them, you know. And you, if you look back at kind of the history books and the registration um, that people were doing at the time, basically in the early 90s, people just stopped doing it, you know. And that's when they stopped breeding. And the, the age class of people that were breeding just got too old, and there was no new generation that picked it up. Just a kind of generational shift. You know, and I'm 33, my wife's 30, and... Uh, We've been doing this since we were in our early, you know, since I was 20, <laughs> and here we are. It's been a, our life's passion so far to do this, and now we raise our family on the ranch, and I mean, just the people that come and see us on the trail and the experiences they have, you know, it's just so, so unique, and they have such a great adventure, and the llamas are so friendly and enjoy meeting new people, and they love working on the trail. It's like a lot like leading a dog down the trail, you know, they're just so excited, and love what they're doing and they're so unique you know <laughs> they're so unique that uh, you know people see horses and they see 
cows and you know see mules all the time and all over the place but to see a llama is kind of a unique thing and i think the novelty of it really really makes it special too I agree. They have a kind of a magical look to them with those big, gorgeous eyes and that big, long neck and that flat back. You know, they just have a magical look to them. Uh, do people ride llamas? I, I know they use them for pack animals, but do, do you ever ride them? You know, so their weight capacity is 80 to 100 pounds a piece. And so, you know, we well, don't that do leaves it. me out. <laughs> and so, you know, but for example, we took a backcountry trip for four days with my wife and my three-year-old son, and he rode one of our llamas named Big Ollie. He rode him all the way in, you know, seven miles, and then rode him around for a few days on a, just a kid's saddle and rode him out. So kids can definitely ride him. Um, we don't do it as a business, but people do uh, rent our llamas to do their own DIY-type trip. Um, trips like that, people you will know, rent llamas specifically to help their kids, you know, get in and out of the backcountry, so... Now, that is interesting. So people want to do their own, and you rent your llamas. And so what if, I mean, how do they know how to take care of them? And that's that's a big trust factor on your side, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I'm really nervous about doing that. You know, and when people call us, that's, the, that's, a, great, that's a great person, you know, that's calling you. Like, they really care about the animals. They're nervous about what could or may go wrong. They're asking themselves lots of questions. And we've been renting llamas for about nine years, and roughly do about 7,000 you know, people will come through the door a year and rent llamas from us, you know. And obviously that's broken down into groups, but we're doing that for nine years, and we do a half-day llama class beforehand, and we basically teach them everything that we can in that limited amount of time. And then we have them read our llama manual and go through some of our video tutorials, and they're ready to go. And, you know, we haven't had any llama injuries. We've had nearly 100% success ratios on people having good trips and, uh, the right people come to us, you know, they're looking to do a llama rails, and I think that's the that's the key. And then the llamas are really well-trained, you know. By the time a llama goes on the trail with someone new, they'll have somewhere between three and 6,000 miles of experience, and so they just really know what to do. And we tell people there's three golden rules, you know. You just have to, first of all, you have to take care of the llama like you take care of yourself. When you're tired, llama's tired. When you're hungry, llama's hungry. When your backpack comes off, theirs comes off. And then we tell people to feed and water them and take care of the llamas, and then and they get the saddle and panniers on right and the last thing you tell them is just to have fun if you do those three things you're going to have a great trip and so we kind of stick to that and it's been served us really well hey but we're going to take a quick break because i've got to hear more about this i think this is just so extraordinary from wilderness ridge trails uh this beautiful business that you and your wife kirsten have developed and I, I want to hear more about your fifth-generation rancher background because that is amazing to me, Bo. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be okay. right back. If you want to hear this interview again, download the KSL News Radio app or listen anywhere you find great podcasts. Just search Mighty Main Street. We're coming right back on KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. 
now available anywhere you get your podcasts.